we should start a podcast. Yeah, we've all said it. But when it comes time to make it a reality, we get stuck. Well, here's some good news. With Spreaker, all you need to start a podcast is a microphone and a good idea. Spreaker handles the recording, management, distribution, and monetization of your podcast, allowing you to focus on making a podcast. Whether you're discussing the latest moves in the tech sector or just your dating life, Spreaker gives you tools to make your podcast a hit and professional insights about who is listening and where. And as your podcast dream grows, Spreaker only becomes more useful, letting you upload and schedule multiple episodes at the same time, push to multiple platforms, and customize RSS feeds. But what about making money? With Spreaker, monetization is as easy as checking a few boxes. So next time someone says to you, we should start a podcast, Say yes and let Spreaker handle the rest. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com slash get started. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com slash get started. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I am discombobulated. I, I, I admit it this morning. This may be the most disjointed radio program of my career because... Y'all, I took one for the team. I watched that Zoom call last night, and I nearly died of alcohol poisoning to try to get through that thing. Oh my goodness gracious, it was it was bad. But 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 wait, we 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 we've got to go in a different direction first. This is important. It's the most wonderful. That's right. Time. The kids went back to school with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer it's the most wonderful time of the year yes it is the kids i have listened to that on repeat all morning the kids are back in school after what six months of of like purgatory the kids are finally really hallelujah the angels seeing the clouds aparted the rays of heaven come down and god smiles upon the earth the children are back in school my kids are back i don't care about your kids my kids are gone gone (laughs) they were not happy when i played that this morning for them (laughs) y'all listen it is with nervous apprehension genuinely nervous apprehension that we have sent our kids back to school. My wife has lung cancer. I have clots in my lungs and, and we are in the high risk category for this virus. And although we're young and statistically we we should be okay if we get it. Um, But I'm nervous. I, I, I am, I am, I'm nervous. And I'm concerned about the kids going but I just, I, I gotta, I, I, our kids need to be around other kids. Our kids need to be connected to their community in a way they have not been at home. Where our, our kids are essentially hermits at this point. They have had very limited social interaction with anyone uh, beyond my wife and me. And it has gotten to the point with my 11-year-old. I love my 11-year-old. He is not capable of entertaining himself. And he must be entertained. And I'm, I'm my, my wife and I are, were, uh, were ready to climb the walls. Just, just I mean, he, he couldn't leave us alone. He's his his friends. A lot of his friends go to a different school. They're in school now. They're doing homework. He, he can't play online with them. And he needs to interact with other human beings. My daughter needs to interact with other human beings. She likes being alone too much. And, you know, I'm an introvert. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. 
Look, listen, I, I can sit here and I can talk to you people all day. I talk five hours a day behind the microphone and nobody talks back. It's just me talking five hours. Occasionally, like Grover Norquist, going to interview him in a little while. But I, I'm, I'm an introvert and even I need human interaction. Now, once I've had it, I got to go like away uh, by myself somewhere. But it, it's we are not meant to be alone, and our kids have been alone with just us, and and so we're we're taking the risk. Our pediatrician thinks it's good for them. Our doctors are comfortable. We 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 did all that. We're comfortable with our school's protocol for getting the kids back to school. Y'all, they have gone back to school this morning. Praise Jesus. Okay, I can move on now. Listen, I, I'm I'm going to record this as a video as well, and I'm going to put it on my Instagram feed at E.W. Erickson. And I don't like sharply partisan things on Instagram. And, and, and we put up videos from the show, and we, we try very carefully to pick those topics that are not necessarily partisan. Because, I, I again, Instagram is my happy place in social media. It, it, it's not very partisan, but my goodness. Y'all, that convention last night, uh, I, 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 I don't know what their plan was. I, I just, I don't understand it. Um, it is, it's bizarre to me that they started this thing. Let me, let me play you some of this because this is important, I think, that you understand this is how they, they started the third night of the Democratic convention. They say that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call. could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS! That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS! What we're fighting for will happen, because we're fighting so strongly for it. We're going... I'm... How, um, I'm, I'm... You you want to you essentially want to convince Americans that they need to vote for Joe Biden because Donald Trump is bad, and you start the third night of your convention not with condemning the rioters who are burning down urban cores in America, but by condemning gun owners, by going after guns. I, I want to tell you something, and I want to tell you very seriously, and I'm, I'm, I want to make eye contact with you through Instagram if, you're, if you watch this video. I have a lot of friends who don't like the president. I don't like the president. I, I mean, I, I get along with the president, but he, he knows what I feel about him. I'm, I don't like his mean tweets. I think he can be nastier than he needs to be. He, he's very divisive. He knows this. We've had this conversation. I'm not talking out of turn. I'm not talking behind the man's back. We've had frank conversations. I, I support him. I'll vote for him. I got issues with him. I have a lot of friends who have such significant issues with him. They will not vote for him, and they have been very interested in voting for for Joe Biden. They were somewhat skeptical when he picked Kamala Harris, and I heard from a ton of them last night. A lot of people through direct message on Twitter, through private message on Instagram, through email, through text message, and they could not believe what they were seeing. You have 
Antifa marching through America. Bombing business, well, I shouldn't say bombing, throwing Molotov cocktails. You've got movements in Austin, Texas, and Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, and Chicago, Illinois, and Washington, D.C., and New York City wanting to defund police. People are running out buying guns. Every month has set new records for gun ownership in this country. The number one buyer at this point are, are uh, black men and women protecting their families because, hey, the, the good white progressives don't want police coming into the black neighborhoods to protect people anymore. And they're going out and buying guns, and you're going to lead your third night of the convention where you could unite America against Donald Trump because a lot of people don't like him, and you're going to lead with it's it, gun owners are the problem. Guns are bad. Gun owners are bad. We need to round up their guns. We need to confiscate their guns. And if that's not enough, we then need to raise their taxes to fight climate change. I don't know who's planning this Democratic convention. And then on top of that, they don't really make it about the policy they make it all about Donald Trump. I, I, I agree with uh, Josh Krushauer from National Journal that they're falling into the same trap that Hillary Clinton fell into, where they're making it all about their grievances with Trump. Every angle, for, from climate change to gun control, it was, we're going to grab the guns, Donald Trump is bad. We're, we, we're going to raise your taxes to fight climate change because Donald Trump is bad. Uh, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, all of them, I suffered through it all for you people. One long, awful Zoom call, and it was all complaining about Donald Trump. We already know the complaints about Donald Trump. How are you going to make it better? And, and they couldn't really articulate how they're going to better. It's just Donald Trump is bad. And this is very much what the Democrats did at the 2016 convention. It was all Donald Trump's character. Donald Trump's bad. Donald Trump stirs up racist sentiment. Donald Trump is a terrible human being. Uh, yada, 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 yada. Uh, that's, it's, it's a replay of 2016. Now, maybe, maybe, and it is true, maybe, there's so much angst in the country right now over the virus and about the president's lack of handling of the virus that people may just throw their lot in with Joe Biden here. But last night was the first night this year where I really thought for the first time, you know what? The president really could win re-election. I've been down on his chances because his campaign has a lack of message. I mean, frankly, Donald Trump's campaign, I don't know if you realize this or not, because the president only just recently realized it, but a lot of people in the president's campaign weren't actually running uh, his reelection campaign. They were getting themselves rich. It was a get-rich-quick scheme uh, by some of his campaign lieutenants. He's finally purged. He's got an adults in the room. It, it Maybe it's not too late. There's 75 days left. Uh, they're trying to turn things around there, but I, I, I've, I've been very down on his chances for a lot of reasons, from the virus to what's happened with the economy because of the virus to the way his campaign is operated behind the scenes to his own lack of discipline. And last night I thought, you know what? Hell, his lack of discipline doesn't matter. The Democrats have no message other than Donald Trump is bad. And you know what? A majority of Americans believe Donald Trump would be better handling the economy than Joe Biden would. And that suggests to me as much as Americans don't like Donald Trump personally, and they don't, they actually trust him to make them more wealthy than they trust Joe Biden to make them more wealthy. And here come the Democrats with, we're going to take away your guns, we're going to raise your taxes to fight climate change, and we're going to impose the Green New Deal on you, and Donald Trump is bad. I, that's not a winning message. And then there's, by the way, um, they're, they're, let me just, just focus for a minute on the actual theme. Because it was shocking to me, I actually thought it was made up. I've got to, I got to acknowledge that when I heard this last night, I, I missed it in the speeches. I had taken a break from the madness, 
and I missed it. And people were talking about it on social media. I thought, are, are you kidding me? Is this, and it really is. In 1992, to contrast George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton was the man from hope. In 2000, to contrast George W. Bush from the Clinton era and Al Gore, George W. Bush was help is on the way. In 2008, Barack Obama was change we can believe in. In 2016, to contrast from Obama, Donald Trump was what? Everybody say it with me. Make America great again. Donald or Joe Biden in 2020, I wish I were making this up. I'm not. This this was it last night. Build back better. Build back better. Man from hope. Help us on the way. Change we can believe in. Make America great again. Build back better. Who ever came up with that needs to be fired. That was ridiculous. And then Kamala Harris's speech. I, you notice, just like America, we're going to skip over Hillary Clinton. There's no reason to even talk about her. That the, Last night was Barack Obama's night. It was not Kamala Harris's night. Kamala Harris gave a speech where she stood on stage and said all these nice things about Joe Biden. And it comes uh, only, what, seven months after she stood on stage and said that he was a, a, a man who helped per- perpetuate racist policies, collaborated with racists in the Jim Crow era and kept her from getting on a bus to go to school. And now, oh, he's just this wonderful guy. I've always loved him. I know Bo, and he's just wonderful. Uh, you're the one who called him a racist. I, I'm not calling you a racist, Joe Biden, but you're a racist. I mean, that was basically your line in the debate. Her entire, her speech was bad. Objectively, Kamala Harris's speech was not a good speech. It was not a memorable speech. And you don't have to believe me. You can say I'm a rabid partisan. Consider this. All the headlines today were about Barack Obama's speech. I mean, I get up every morning. I look through probably 40 news outlets. The headlines everywhere were about Barack Obama. Kamala Harris was a footnote on last night's and it, it performance. And that's not what you want when you're running for vice president of the United States. When you're running a campaign, you don't want it to be about Barack Obama. Barack Obama stole the spotlight last night and wanted to keep it on himself. And I got to tell you, in all honesty, I realize I'm not a Barack Obama fan. I'm, I'm not an Obama fan. But I genuinely do believe that Bill Clinton made a better case in two minutes than Barack Obama made in his diatribe last night. Bill Clinton's entire pitch was, this is a job interview. You got to pick the best candidate. And Donald Trump seemed like he was good. He, he, he's, he's what people wanted. And it turns out he's bad in a crisis. And crises are upon us, and he can't handle it. You need someone who's been there, who knows what they're doing. Joe's been there 40 years. We need him to get us through this crisis. It's time to fire Donald Trump and hire Joe Biden. That was, that was Bill Clinton's pitch. Now, you can hate Bill Clinton. You can hate his pitch. You can hate all of that. But it was two minutes of a concise message to people, hey, you thought you wanted something different and outside the mainstream in this job. You got it. Turns out that wasn't good for a crisis. Time to go back to what you know is good for a crisis, which is real leadership. Go Joe Biden. Barack Obama last night was Constitution. Uh, this is a man who persecuted nuns 
and tried to shut down Christian bakers and Christian businesses, and he wants to rail on the Constitution. This is a man who his own judicial appointees to the Supreme Court in a 9-0 decision rejected his idea that free exercise of religion only means a freedom to worship. Uh, I, I don't need a lecture on the Constitution from Barack Obama. I don't need him to talk about uh, Donald Trump being divisive when he's the one who wanted people to turn in their neighbors if they lied about Obamacare and told his supporters to take guns to knife fights. I, I don't need Barack Obama lecturing me on Jack. Bill Clinton did a better job. And last night was Donald Trump's night to win this election, given just how nutty and unfocused and, and venti it was. I mean, th this was like cat squabbling last night. And Donald Trump, if his campaign's smart, they'll capitalize on it, particularly the gun stuff. Hello there. Um, I, I, I got to ask a question, and it, it is somewhat of an inside joke, and I'll explain it uh, in a moment to the rest of you. Uh, I need to make sure my buddy Brick Cochran is listening to the program right now. He has my cell phone number, and I need him to text me to confirm that he is watching this here program because I, I, I got something just for him and it, it's for the rest of you as well. And it, 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 there's just, we've, there are things we must discuss that I feel like Brent needs to hear. And those Democrats last night, while I wait to see if he is, is listening, I just, I got to tell you, um, I just don't understand how you connect with middle America when you can't connect with anyone other than secular, progressive, white, elite people. The, the, the cosmopolitan urban values of the Democratic Party even leave behind Hispanic and black voters when it comes to cultural Christian issues. Um, okay. My buddy Brent is texting me. And, and so just for him in particular, you'll, you'll understand momentarily. We need to discuss this. Families wouldn't be separated so that another classroom wouldn't get shot up so that our kids won't grow up on an uninhabitable planet. Americans of all races joining together to declare in the face of injustice and brutality at the hands of the state that black lives matter no more but no less, so that no child in this country feels the continuing sting of racism. To the young people who led us this summer, telling us we need to be better, in so many ways, you are this country's dreams fulfilled. Earlier generations had to be persuaded that everyone has equal worth. For you, it's a given, a conviction. And what I want you to know is that for all its messiness and frustrations, your system of self-government can be harnessed to help you realize those convictions. Well, we got to stop there. So my buddy Britt texted me during commercial break. He's listening down in Florida on, on the live stream. And he said, you know, the, the, the best part about the Trump presidency, it means I don't have to hear Barack Obama's voice again. <laughs> Y'all, okay, here's the thing, and, and this is why I want to bring this up. We literally have rioters for 88 days now in Portland, Oregon. Businesses are shuttering. People are leaving. People are fleeing New York City. They're rounding up. They are literally, actually, factually rounding up Jews in New York City for wanting to go to synagogue while allowing protesters to march through the streets and smash the windows of businesses. 
And Barack Obama's response to the protesters is, you're exercising democracy. You're in the street calling us to be better. How are you calling people to be better when you're lobbying Molotov cocktails at people? People talk about Sister Soldier moments. That's Bill Clinton in, in 1992. Sister Soldier was a rapper who talked about black people have been killing so many black people. Maybe it's time to start killing white people. And, and, and Bill Clinton got on stage and had a Sister Soldier moment where he blasted her and the people who applauded her for saying that and say, we, we got to all get along regardless of race in this country. And it became a Sister Soldier moment where you tell off a part of your own base. Barack Obama or Joe Biden could do that with these people who are rioting in the streets, burning down businesses, grabbing areas for themselves, killing eight-year-olds in Atlanta. They could do that. They, they could blast the people of Chicago marching down the, the Magnificent Mile, smashing windows and looting places. But they're not. They're pretending it's not even happening. They're pretending uh, none of it is wrong. They're pretending Antifa is peaceful, uh, um, God-loving people. They could have that moment, and they could probably, frankly, win the election by doing that. And they can't bring themselves to do that because they've been co-opted by these people, and now they want to round up all of your guns so you can't stand up to them either. It's not a winning message for November. Well, there's some breaking news we'll keep our eye on. I, I don't know a ton here, uh, but the U.S. attorney uh, for the Southern District of New York is uh, announcing the indictment of Steve Bannon. Uh, and other leaders of We Build the Wall, an online fundraising campaign charged with defrauding hundreds of thousands of donors. Um, oh, we're still learning what's going on here, but uh, he apparently is involved with it. Uh, it we'll, we can come back to that later, but it, I, I want to focus on th this. You know, the, I'm I'm trying to watch the Zoom call of all these senior citizens uh, in in Milwaukee and around the country, but none of it just seems to. It's so disjointed. None of it makes sense, and it's it's it seems like the the Democrats and the socialists have gotten together and they've had a love child, and it it's some sort of mutated something or other that I, I can't figure out what it is. I'm hoping my next guest can figure it out because because last night was just bizarre. We're going to round up your guns and raise your taxes to fight climate change and. Donald Trump bad. Uh, joining me is Grover Norquist. Grover, how are you today? I am doing quite well, all cheerful. I, I, well, I, I'm glad you are. I watched that thing last night, and I just I, I can't make heads or tails of it. Donald Trump is bad. We need to take away your guns and defund the police and, and raise your taxes, and, and none of it makes sense. Well, they're hoping that people won't really follow it. The Democrat plan is to run against Donald Trump pick the reason you don't like him. Some liberals don't like him because he's not a liberal and some people don't like the tweets or the, the, the picking fights with people constantly. Um, whatever your reason, vote with us. Then the second conversation they're having is to the very hard left structures of organized labor, the teachers unions uh, and the radical environmentalists who want to you know, go back to the middle ages in terms of uh, energy production and to them, they're saying, we will give you the world if you just pipe down. So they're saying it. They're not looking to have everybody hear their conversations about coming out and stealing 15 million, you know, the AR-15s or taking away the right to carry or the legislation that the Democrats and Biden have endorsed, which would eliminate the right to work law by Congress. Congress, you know, not your state, but your state would be denied the right to have a right to work law, which is 27 
uh, states allow people to not be forced to join a union. They're taking that away uh, if they get power. They want to outlaw independent contractors, 13 and a half million Americans, independent contractors, plumbers and whatnot, but also everybody who works for Uber or Lyft or the gig economy or writers who write for five or six magazines, uh, script writers who write for different Hollywood, Hollywood studios. All of this, you're going to have to have a boss. You can't just say, I work with you know, everybody I give a ride to at Uber. No, 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 you must work for somebody. They must pay you, and therefore you can be unionized. Uh, the, the list of promises, they shutting down charter schools. There are 3 million children in chart, K-12 through uh, charter schools, a million trying to get in. So 4 million where the parents are very focused on charter schools, and Biden has promised to defund them. You couldn't get the endorsement of the teachers' union without that promise. So uh, Biden's going to double and, and his uh, vice president double the capital gains tax from 20 to 40 percent, which would put it back in the territory of Jimmy Carter. When even the Democrats over Jimmy Carter's objection cut it in half because it was doing so much damage uh, in the late 70s. Uh, they all want to take the corporate rate now 21 percent back up to 35 to eliminate the Trump tax cut, uh, which is higher than communist China. So if they get in power and somebody in Brazil has $10 million to invest in a factory, if he puts it in the United States, we'll take 35% of what he earns. If he puts it in China, they only steal 25%. On taxes, we'd be once again driving jobs and businesses out of the United States. The Democrats do not want you to focus on that. They want orange man bat, uh, and they will just keep coming up with anything and everything, some of it real, some of it completely made up. I mean, the Democrats have their own version of that QAnon thing, which is, you know, Russia and conspiracy. Russia and, and the all post office. Stuff that they, the post, oh, the post office is the most recent one. That The Postal Union is trying to get more money for itself. Right. I understand. That's their goal. This has nothing to do with elections. Everything to do with $25 billion that the post office would like to pay people more, not to make anything faster. Yeah, yeah, I'm. You know, you you mentioned the post office thing. This one is it. It's crazy to me that I, I I'm actually resentful of this one because the only reason we're required to treat this with any level of seriousness is because of the number of people with blue check marks on social media who have bought into this conspiracy theory that haven't bought into QAnon. Uh, they bought into this one and they bought into the Russia stole the election one. And, and together, it, it makes no sense to me that uh, they also at the same time want everyone to vote by mail and believe that one man in Washington can slow the mail down to steal the election. You can't reconcile any of these things together outside of a mental institution. You don't do out. You can do it in a very quick statement on cable TV, in passing references, in columnists by otherwise distinguished and lucid uh, human beings. Uh, and they just keep peppering this because this is going to be a campaign of distraction. Pay no attention to the socialist man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to what the Democrats have said they intend to do to your life, to your ability to homeschool, your ability to have your children. And if people, are, they want to ban vaping. 13 million adults have quit smoking or smoke much less and vape. They want to ban that and push people back uh, to cigarettes. That's not good <laughs> science and it's not good health. Uh, they would rather have you not focus on your 401k. 100 million Americans have a 401k or an individual retirement account or defined 
uh, contribution savings plan. Their life savings is in these, uh, not just their home, but in the stock market. And from when Trump got elected until just before COVID hit, if you just invested in the Standard & Poor's, just the general economy, your life savings increased by 50%. Then during COVID, it came down again, but never as low as it was under Biden and Obama, and then back up again to where it's almost back to up 50% since Trump got elected. Uh, they have explained, the Democrats, that they will stop and undo everything that made your life savings increase by 50% and drive it back down again. We're not just talking about getting a 3% raise or a 5% raise. We're talking about your life savings being collapsed, and they act as if this is about the 1%. It's a lot more than 1% when 100 million Americans have a uh, defined contribution pension savings plan. People have health savings accounts and all these others. This is significant money that people, young people are putting uh, money into this, that uh, Robin Hood uh, trading yeah, thing. I've got that million Millennials are in this now. Uh, they've recognized that the stock market, the value of the American companies has gone up because lower taxes, because deregulation, because judges that value the rule of law and property rights. All of this gets undone if the Democrats win power. So let's talk about orange man bad. And they can talk about a scandal until it's disproven or discredited. Then they move on to something else. And then they reference the new scandal in light of all the other scandals, not mentioning that they turned out not to be true, but they just put them in the sentence, uh, scandal after scandal. Uh, right. You know, I, I like the, the uh, Obama's wife giving this complete speech, screaming and attacking the uh, president and, and saying, we, you know, when they go low, we go high. What was her speech? <laughs> what, was the, what was the going high part? What yeah. was the bring us together part? Yeah, yeah, hatred of the president. It's just, I, you know, so every point you make, I, I agree a, a million percent with everything you just said. And how do you, I mean, what would your, be your advice to penetrate the conversation on this? Because all you get, I mean, CNN has just been so broken by the president. And I love people there. I used to work there, but the, the whole network has been broken. All, all you got really is Fox. Uh, you got talk radio. How do you penetrate the message uh, out there to get this stuff out? Uh, one answer is aspirational. The other is what I think we might do. The first would be to have the president go into a basement for two months and have Biden come out of the basement for two months, and then we win. Um, but short of that, if the president would tweet less or tweet in a disciplined manner, decide the three issues that could decide this election. They want to take away school choice from three million people who are in charter schools, if those people understood that their kids' future was on the line, many of them would switch. The, that's the election right there. That is how the Florida governor was elected because the Democrat was talking about getting rid of school choice, their voucher program, mm -hmm. and voters that had never voted Republican, 50 to 75,000 switched from just from areas that didn't provide Republican votes in the past. That alone um, could move the election over focusing on your life savings. And when they talk about damaging the 1%, to damage the 1%, you have to really do damage to the middle class of savers whose life savings are in the stock market that 
somehow the left wants to say are just about the one percent. It's about you know, not the one percent; it's the fifty plus percent uh, that have life savings that they can uh, manage. I think you talk to the thirteen million plus. Uh, independent contractors and point out they want to make your job illegal. I think you talk to every small businessman and say, this is what they will do to you. You, have, you understand that. You see that. You know that. And speak directly to them. You can get discipline in television ads and radio ads. And the ad campaign can be disciplined, even if sometimes the candidate can't. <laughs> well, I, I hope I, I man, I really do hope there's some level of discipline in 75 days left and then we can start it all over again for 2024. Grover, it is always great to talk to you. I, I really do appreciate it. And, and by the way, uh, the, the the guy you asked me to talk to, we, we spent 30 minutes on a Zoom call the other day. So I got that taken care of. Oh, wonderful. I think you'll find he's a very interesting character. Yeah, it left, was it was a it was a great honest. conversation on 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 the party and and I'll explain to listeners what I'm talking about here. It was actually a very good conversation. Thanks for referring him. You got it. Take it easy. Take care, uh, Grover Norquist. There from Americans for Tax Reform. He, he Grover. There's a a a liberal journalist who's writing a book, actually trying to understand conservatism. Believe it or not, and he actually uh, Grover and, and several others have been interviewed by him, and he actually is, I think, trying to understand us from the vantage point of someone who doesn't understand conservatives. And and Grover's pushed me for, for weeks to to interview the guy or to let the guy interview me. And I finally did. It was actually it was an interesting conversation um, from someone who he, like me, is a native of Louisiana, this guy. He's a journalist up in, in New York City now, uh, lives on the Upper West Side, he said. And, and he said he never encounters anyone who supports the president. He never encounters anyone who identifies as a conservative and, and wanted to talk about those things. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I see a story out from USA Today that USA Today is going to be committed to diversity and try to get, uh, make sure that 50% of the newsroom is as diverse as possible. And it's always superficial diversity. Uh, It is always uh, who you sleep with or the color of your skin. It is never how you think and what you think and what you believe and do you go to church. So you're not going to have uh, you're going to have a diverse newsroom of of everyone who believes the same thing. And I, it's I always find it refreshing to encounter liberal reporters who admit they're liberal and want to actually try as best they can to understand conservatives. Um, so Grover pushed me to interview the guy. Now to Grover's other point, y'all, this is my deep frustration with the president. I'm glad that Grover said it. Message discipline, and I hear this from so many of you as well. You're, you're going to vote for the president, but you're deeply frustrated by his lack of message discipline. And you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I guess. And, and he's not going to engage in the level of message discipline that I wish he would engage in to win the election. And that's just kind of where we are. Um, but who knows? The Democrats' message discipline last night was so bad that maybe that won't work against him too much. Oh, my gosh. I love this. Uh, I, I I genuinely love this. Uh, reporters. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Re- reporters and, and, and professors, academics are livid with the Washington Post. <laughs> this is so well. <laughs> so so the washington post headline is harris accepts historic vp nomination and the trump campaign bought every ad slot on the front page of the washington 
<laughs> on their website. So the headline, the headline. Hang on a second. For 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 those of you who are watching a, a, a live stream, I gotta I gotta show you the picture of this. Harris accepts historic VP nomination. Right above it, the radical leftist takeover of Joe Biden is complete. And it's got Joe Biden looking like he, he, he needs a feeding tube next to a smiling Kamala Harris as the world burns behind them. I mean, it's every spot on on the on the page. The 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 radical leftist takeover of Joe Biden is complete. The two little ads up in the masthead on the left and the right. The big banner ad above the main news stories. This is hysterical. Um, and and progressive Jeff Jarvis, who is a uh, man. I mean, it's every. It is the middle of the of the newspaper, the bottom of the newspaper, all of it. Uh, this is so well done by the Trump campaign. Um, and it, I mean, it is a spittle fueled rage by left-wing academics and, and reporters today that the Washington post would dare, uh, allow Donald Trump or anyone really Donald Trump to buy all the ads on the front page of the New York times, uh, the, the, the life, this is, that is, that's so well done. By the Trump campaign, uh, and, and by the way, the, the New York Times said they were going to do this. The the Trump campaign has bought a massive ad buy to highlight the thing. The media, I sneezed, to highlight the thing the media does not want to talk about, and that is that the world is burning, cities are burning in the United States. Antifa actually is violent. And you won't hear that from members of the media. The, the, the media is not focused on this. The, the media, to, to the best of the media's ability, the media is working very hard to cover for violent protesters. And so the Trump campaign has decided to highlight that. And again, uh, th- this is this is a this is something I I want to spend just a moment on here. Last night I don't want to I don't want to play his audio again. I just y'all, I, you know I I get in trouble for saying that w- with people on the left I get in trouble for saying you know Donald Trump actually if you if you know him one on one he's a nice person. And I get in trouble with people on the right for saying, you know, if, if you know Joe Biden, he's actually a nice person. And to the left, Donald Trump can't be a nice person because they hate what he does publicly. They hate what he does on Twitter. Uh, they just can't fathom how a man who's lived his life as he has can be considered a nice person. I didn't say good. I said nice. And the same with Joe Biden. I didn't say good. I said nice. And, and frankly, the same with Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, not a good guy. But one-on-one, he's, he's a nice guy. I, everyone I know who has ever met Bill Clinton loves the man. Even if they hate his politics, they love the man. And you know, even the, you know, the picture of the woman who um, was massaging him, the Epstein victim, even she says, no, he, he was never untoward with me. He was, he was a perfect gentleman with me. I mean, he, even the Epstein trafficking victim says Bill Clinton's a nice guy. I, I'm willing to say he's a nice guy. He's not a good guy. There, there's a difference between the two. I just, I don't, I'm sure Barack Obama one-on-one is a nice guy. 
but he's he's that guy for me where I just I I listen to him and I think you, you, you sued nuns, you sued Christian organizations to try to force them to kill kids. You 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 argued in the Supreme Court that there's no right to exercise your religion, it's only right to worship. I I'm sure with the passage of time, I will get to the point of seeing Barack Obama beyond office and saying, okay, I mean, and I say right now, he is a good dad. Inarguably, Barack Obama is a good dad. Inarguably, Barack Obama is a good husband. Uh, inarguably, there is a a love between Michelle Obama and Barack Obama that, that Melania Trump and Donald Trump don't seem to have. But I just, I mean, I, I, we're we're only just through his presidency. I need time to get there because I, I spent eight years having to listen to that man tell me that his poop don't stink and and everything he did I thought was a, a just egregious, uh, including his economic recovery that never recovered. It, it's Donald Trump's recovery, and it is galling to me that Democrats want to try to take credit for it after uh, Donald Trump implemented policies that, that just um, – the exploded the economy and got it firing on all cylinders in a way Barack Obama never would. Uh, I, I just, I, I got no time for that. And for him to stand up there and tell us that those protesters were good people and, and we need to listen to those young people calling us to be better. Those young people are in the streets beating up people who disagree with them, burning down buildings and calling for the police to be defunded. And how are these urban areas doing this? How are they responding in Austin, Texas, in Portland, Oregon, in Los Angeles, California, in Seattle, Washington, in Chicago, Illinois, in New York City? They are trying to defund the police. Remember, when they first came out and said defund the police, they're like, oh, no, we're not really going to defund them. We're just going to reprioritize police spending. They're actually defunding police departments. Um, that's not good. And I think the president, this ad campaign of the Washington Post capitalizes on that. And I think it needs to be highlighted. Democrats had an opportunity to rebuke Antifa and they failed to do it because they actually are okay with what Antifa is doing. I got a real problem with that. And I think most Americans would too, if they realized the extent of it. Why do all pairs of glasses look totally different on the shelf and then they look different on your face? Coastal makes it easy. Browse and virtually try on hundreds of frames without leaving your couch. You don't even need to turn off the TV. You just do what you need to do to try on glasses. At Coastal.com, you get prescription glasses starting at $9 with free shipping and a 30-day risk-free return. Plus, they've got the most advanced virtual try-on technology you'll find anywhere. Turn your frames into sunglasses by trying out colored lens tints, finding, seeing what a cat eye or an aviator might look like on your face. With Coastal, you don't have to spend hundreds of hours or hundreds of dollars or any hours, really, in a store. Go to Coastal.com. You pick your frames. You want see them, see what they look like on your face. You do it on your phone. You enter your prescription details, and you order. It's actually pain-free, people. It's easy to do, and you never have to go to a store to get this done. Now, through October 31st, they're offering you guys the best deal they've got going anywhere. 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com slash Eric. Remember, it's E-R-I-C-K. You get free shipping, 30-day risk-free returns, 50% off Coastal.com slash Eric. Only until October 31st. It's spelled coastal, C-O-A-S-T-A-L dot com slash Eric. Some restrictions do apply. Coastal dot com slash Eric. 
I am here. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. It is my show, but you can call in and, and you can chime in on that that Zoom call last night. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not hungover, but I should be. I got to be honest. It was awful. You know, the first night I actually, I, I sat in the bathtub and watched it uh, just so I could drown myself in case I needed to. And it, it, it came close. It came close. I should have, if I'd done it last night, I, this would be the Chris Byrne show because I would have drowned. Um, it was, it, oh my goodness gracious, y'all. It was, it was, oh, I'm still not over it. The, the, the headache I have is not from the bourbon. It's from having to listen to Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I just, I, I gotta tell you, I made people mad and y- you should at least know why I made people mad. I was rather proud of myself, uh, for making people mad and uh, yeah. Okay. Was I trolling? Let's be honest. There was a little bit of trolling going on. Um, when it came to what I did last night, Hillary Clinton was speaking. Well, okay. So first of all, Nancy Pelosi spoke. And <laughs> Nancy Pelosi spoke it in and I, I live streamed uh, a scene of the Wicked Witch of the West and said I was watching it. But um, so there, there was also the um, well, there was the there was the Hillary Clinton moment. And I just decided that. While I, w- I would live stream Hillary Clinton's speech on social media and I would have this play in over it. If you're not familiar, it is Miss Gulch. That is the music that is played when the Wicked Witch of the West first appears in The Wizard of Oz on her bicycle before she turns green. (laughs) Goodness gracious, the hate mail I have gotten from people for playing that. Um, But really, no one, it's interesting that nobody today is talking about Hillary Clinton's speech last night. Uh, This is a woman who time forgot, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and, and her whole speech, I don't even have clips of her speech. I, I passed over clips of her speech. Uh, I, I do, I, I will let me, oh, no, 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 no. I take that back. I, I, I did, I did cut up a clip of Hillary Clinton. I did. I figured if I wasn't going to make Charlie cut up a clip of Don Lemon, I would at least force him to listen to Hillary Clinton. Hey, you know what? Let's all listen. I'm going to kill my ratings, aren't I? If Trump is reelected, things will get even worse. And your little dog, That's too. That's why we need unity now more than ever. Remember back in 2016 when Trump asked, what do you have to lose? Well, now we know. Our health care, our jobs, our loved ones our leadership in the world, and even our post office. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? (laughs) I kill myself sometimes. (laughs) Yes, y'all may not find it funny. I do. I'm sorry. Part of me finds it funny because of of the blind, spittle-fueled rage that I know it induces in the angry feminists out there. You deprived us of our first female president in comfortable shoes. 
Uh, it just it 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 sails over people's head. I I, I realize. Uh, I I can I I can I could listen to to Pelosi more than Hillary. I don't want to listen to her either. Um, I got all these clips, and I just man, I I don't I don't know that I can do it. Um, I I, I took one for the team last night. <sighs> okay, I'm going to settle down here and focus at the moment. Here's my problem. I, the Democrats, it, it's not really a problem, but but it, it is a problem in that I don't think the president can capitalize on it. it last night, y'all, really, I'm, if you've listened to me and you've read what I've written this year, I, I intend to vote for Donald Trump in 2020. I didn't vote for him in 2016 because I, I really thought he wouldn't do a lot of the stuff that he said he would. And, and frankly, the man has kept promises. He got us out of the Iran deal. He moved the embassy in Jerusalem. He got out of the Paris Climate Accord. He put strong judges in the judiciary. He cut taxes. He deregulated. There's a lot of stuff he did that I don't like. I don't like Peter Navarro. I don't like the tariffs. I don't like the trade wars. I, I don't think the president has handled the virus competently. It's not that the president has a, a massive amount of power to handle a viral spread in 50 states, but the president does have one power no one else has, and that is the bully pulpit where he can direct and encourage and, and foster some level of unity in the states in getting stuff done. And the president will get on on in, in behind the, the, the pulpit and he will say one thing and then tweet contradictory information five minutes later. And, and I think that's unhelpful. I think there's stuff the president could have done to rally people, get people behind wearing masks, things like that. And, and he didn't do it. And he allowed a lot of his supporters to believe fringe, crazy things. And, and that has further disrupted stuff. I had on Jerome Adams, the secretary or the, the surgeon general yesterday was pointing out that the data has changed in seven, eight months the data that would the stuff we know about the virus has changed the science has changed that's why the advice has changed we, we know more now than we did then and I, I think the president has 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 been detrimental in that stuff and, and he's been detrimental in messaging control for himself for his reelection. but i watched the democrats last night and i really do think the president can win this thing I really do. And I've thought all along he's behind. I do believe the polls tend to be right. And I really do think there is a path for the president to win this thing if he can just exercise some freaking message discipline. In the last hour, I had Grover Norquist on. One of the things he said is the president should pick three big things and just repeat those and nothing else. Don't get sidetracked. Focus on these. And one of those things are charter schools. Charter schools. The Democratic proposal being floated at their convention that they've put into their documents of what they believe would end your charter school. I live, I don't think I'm a full mile from ACE. I may be half a mile from ACE. ACE is a charter school in middle Georgia. It was run by the Bibb County School Board and has moved its charter to the state because it is right on the line with Monroe County here in middle Georgia between Bibb and Monroe County. I mean, hell, when they move the line, it may be in Monroe County. There's a squabble between Bibb and Monroe on, on their county line. Um, and, but there's, they, they wanted to accept kids from southern Monroe County. They've been growing. And they are, they are a charter school. You do not have to pay to go there. And we've lost kids at our kids' Christian private school uh, who couldn't afford the private school tuition, 
or fearful of going into the public schools, given the, the state of, of public schools in our county, but they were okay going to ACE because of the way ACE is run. There is a strong parental involvement, strong parental involvement. We know a number of teachers there, and do you know the chief complaint about this charter school? Too much homework. That is the chief complaint from from uh, everyone we talk to is too much homework. They get more homework than, than the, the Ivy League-style academic private schools in town. And if you're a parent listening to me right now and you go to that, your kids go to that charter school or to any charter school in the state of Georgia, you need to know that the Democrats endorsed this week the eradication of charter schools. They want a federal law banning charter schools. They want zero dollars allowed to go to charter schools. That would essentially ban charter schools. No federal dollars could go to a public charter school. Do you know, black women in Georgia sided with the Republican governor, Nathan Deal, and the white Republican voters in Georgia to pass an amendment to the Georgia Constitution to allow charter schools, statewide charter schools in Georgia. Black pastors and the Democratic Party preached against it in pulpits. The NAACP was against it. Uh, The black leadership in in the state legislature was against it. And the black moms in Atlanta turned out and sided with the white Republican voters and passed charter schools because they know their kids need a good education. And the Democrats would end it. The Republicans should focus on this. The Republicans should focus on the fact that on the fact that Democrats want to raise your taxes. They don't want to raise the taxes on just the wealthy. They want to raise the middle class taxes as well. At a time of economic chaos, the Democrats want to get rid of the president's tax cuts, raise the capital gains tax, and and raise corporate taxes and raise taxes on your income as well. That is an issue that the president should talk about. Why should he talk about it? Because a majority of Americans still believe that Donald Trump would be better at handling an economic recovery from the virus than Joe Biden. The president should highlight that fact. The president, frankly, should be highlighting the fact that the numbers of the virus in this country continue to go down. We're headed in the right direction with the virus. The economy is going to pick back up. Do you want a tax increaser who's going to kill your kids' charter schools in the White House? There's a message for the president to tell if he would focus. But there's an issue here as well in that The Democrats lacked focus last night, too. They started their convention with wanting to take everybody's guns. I mean, they actually, last night, I wish my, my, my wife, she won't mind me telling you, she's, she's not a fan of the president. You, you can't blame a mom when the president's supporters literally showed up at our house in 2016 to threaten me when I said I wasn't going to support the president. Had three men on my front porch threaten me and my family for not supporting the president in 2016. My children were ruthlessly bullied at school to the point we had to put them in a different school. They lost a, a number of their friends. Uh, the, the parents of some of these kids were, were absolutely awful. Uh, and, and it came out through their kids and their treatment of my kids for, for, for not supporting a guy for president. We had to have armed guards guard our house for months on end. My kids were harassed in a grocery store for not supporting the president. And I didn't. I didn't vote for him. My my wife to this day doesn't care for the man. But my wife is a Second Amendment advocate, and to have the Democrats last night, two nights ago, support defunding police, and last night support rounding up all your guns. 
that's not a message that convinces my wife to vote for the Democrats. That's a message that convinces her and a lot of other people to vote Republican. That's not a message you went over the middle class with. You know why gun sales are, are surging? It's first-time gun owners. Do you know what you call first-time gun owners? Republican. There are a lot of people who've never owned a gun before and suddenly think they need to have one. And not only are the Democrats endorsing defunding the police, they are endorsing taking away your guns. Not only are they endorsing taking away your guns, they're endorsing raising your property taxes if you own a home to pay for the Green New Deal. Not only are they endorsing raising your property taxes to, to pay for the Green New Deal, they're in favor of raising the gas tax to such an extent that you can't afford to get gas and must get back on the public buses that for six months they've told us not to get on in order to contain the coronavirus. They want you back in the death boxes of public transportation where you can get the virus. All for a Green New Deal that they worship, they idolize. If the president and the Republicans will focus on this, man, y'all, he's got a winning message. And, you know, a majority of Americans right now, just pay attention to this one, whether you agree with me or not. A majority of Americans, even if you think the polls are wrong, I think it's true. A majority of Americans do not like Donald Trump. That same majority of Americans prefer him to handle the economy than Joe Biden. There's a message there for the president if they can exercise the message discipline. I'm just not sure he's capable of exercising that message discipline. But then last night, if that's the Democratic message, he may be able to pierce through even without any message discipline because that was craziness last night. I mean, everything on that that, that agenda last night completely overshadowed Kamala Harris and, and her introduction, reintroduction to the American public. Listen, there's there's a lot more to be said on, on the Harris front. Let me just, just leave you this before we go to commercial break. The woman never made it to Iowa. She dropped out before Iowa. You probably want someone who had a little more staying power than her, and we saw why last night. That was not a good speech. It, it just in any way, shape, or form, that was not a good speech. All right. Well, I, um, uh, uh, interesting. I have looked into the Steve Bannon story. A, a media company, the, the, let me just read you this from the New York Times, or from the Washington Post, rather. No. Okay, let's start over. Let me read you something from the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> A media company linked to former Trump political advisor Steve Bannon, an exiled Chinese businessman, uh, Gu Wenyu, raised more than $300 million in a private offering this spring that is now being investigated by federal and state authorities, say people familiar with the matter. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, Wells Fargo, have frozen accounts tied to fundraising for the company, GTV Media Group. Some of the people said Bank of America also closed an account for GTV Media's parent company shortly after it was opened in recent months. Another person with knowledge of the situation said, the federal probe is being conducted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Securities and Exchange Commission. People familiar with the investigation said, the investigators have been examining whether GTV Media or associates of Mr. Goo or Mr. Gao violated securities law through the private share placement. The New York State Attorney General's office is examining the matter as well. Soon after the fundraising, some investors began pushing for refunds after they said they never received official documentation verifying their investment in GTV Media. 
Uh, Mr. Gao and Bannon joined forces in the last few years as tough critics of China's Communist Party and recently have been spending significant time together on Mr. Gao's yacht, according to videos. GTV Media said in a statement it had carried out the private placement under the guidance of its lawyers. Uh, Gao and Bannon declined comment. So that comes on the heels of uh, this story of a federal indictment of Steve Bannon, and it appears a group of people, including Bannon, set up a um, set up a nonprofit called We Will Build the Wall or some such, and. People poured money in claiming that they were going to build the wall on the Mexican border and they split the money between them and didn't actually do what they said they were going to do with it. Uh, So these appear to be separate things all joined together now. Uh, And the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York has come out with a statement on what is going on. Let me read for you the statement by the U.S. attorney, uh, Audrey Strauss. As alleged, the defendants defrauded hundreds of thousands of donors, capitalizing on their interest in funding a border wall to raise millions of dollars under the false pretense that all the money would be spent on construction. While repeatedly assuring donors that Brian Colfage, the founder and public face of We Build the Wall, would not be paid a cent, the defendants secretly schemed to pass hundreds of thousands of dollars to Colfage, which he used to fund his lavish lifestyle. We thank the USPIS for its partnership in investigating this case, and we remain dedicated to rooting out and prosecuting fraud wherever we find it. I don't know what the USPIS is. Um, a U.S. Postal Inspector? I, I have no idea. Um, but But that's the basis for the indictment on Steve Bannon. Uh, it is... Let's see. It's several of them. Uh, the defendants were arrested this morning, uh, no no less. Um, so Colfage is Brian Colfage, Steve Bannon, Andrew Battelotto, and Timothy Shea. And uh, they will be arraigned. It is being assigned to a, a U.S. court uh, in a federal court in New York. And essentially what they did is they said that they created this this account, this organization, where if you gave money to this organization, this organization would contribute it to the government or in, in, do it in such a way as to be. Yes, thank you. Uh, it, it, Britt texted me, U.S. Postal Inspection Service. Excellent. Um, so uh, they, they would build the, the wall with the money collected by the donations, and they raised a lot of money. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking to see. Um, they raised twenty five million dollars, twenty five million dollars from people, and they essentially split it four ways. Goodness gracious! Now this, you know what? So I set up a GoFundMe account the other day. Charlie got mad at me, uh, <laughs> but it was only to, to mock some some idiots who are helping an Alex Jones reporter who is. Uh, being accused of obstruction of justice and a a bunch of other stuff. Uh, And yet she claimed that she was uh, being arrested for exposing the truth and raised $65,000. I'm thinking, I I, want to raise $150,000 to build me an office and a studio for the show. Maybe there's some suckers out there. There are clearly a lot of suckers out there giving $25 million 
to this build the wall campaign, but these four, um, they may go to jail for it because they split the money themselves and never actually gave money to build the wall. It's me. It is Eric Erickson. I am here. I, I'm, I'm still recovering from that zoom call last night. Um, I listen, I'm, I, I hope you guys love me. Because I listened to Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Kamala and Barack Obama. So you didn't have to. And it it was painful. I thought about sticking my fingers in a meat grinder just, just to at least have some level of pleasurable experience. Cause it, it was it was some some awful stuff last night listening to them. And it, it was remarkable listening to Barack Obama talk about um uh, restraint in government. And, and Hillary Clinton talking about the responsibleness of the American people and Kamala Harris telling us what a great guy that that racist race baiter who kept her off a bus really is. I just and then there was Nancy Pelosi. I, I kept waiting for a house to drop on one of them. Uh, let, let's go to the phones, though. I, I have a special guest, Congressman from Texas. Michael Burgess is joining me. How are you? I am very well, Eric. I hope you're well this morning. And you're right. We do love you. Well, well, thank you. I, I'm. I guess I'm well, but my head still hurts from watching that thing last night. That I just, I, I don't understand how you 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 want to tell Americans Joe Biden isn't going to on Monday. They have John Kasich. Joe Biden's not going to go to the left. He's he's going to be just a good leader. And tonight or last night, it's we're going to raise your taxes to fight climate change, put your businesses out of business, and take all your guns away. And 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 eliminate the Hyde Amendment so we can fund abortions with federal dollars. Right. Yeah, I just I, I'm I am perplexed by this, and, and you know, Michael, I I, I should because because we met, I, I should do a better job. You're congressman from Texas, Michael Burgess, former doctor, no less, as well, uh, and a member of the House Freedom Caucus, just all around good conservative guy who actually wants to build a wall and and take care of America and save our kids from the monstrosity that would be a far left um, uh, Biden regime, and. I'm just I, I'm looking at this last night and I, before you came on, I was talking to people that if the president for the next 75 days did nothing but tweet, they want to kill your charter school, uh, he would probably win the election. I was shocked at how anti-charter school they were in public. It's uh, it is startling. And, and just a small point of clarification, uh, I, I'm technically not a member of the Freedom Caucus. I'm a member of almost everything else, but the Freedom Caucus is is quite secretive, and and they don't release their membership. And, uh, <laughs> well, I apologize. Even were, yeah, even, even if you were to get a list, I wouldn't be on there. But uh, <laughs> obviously, I count them as my friends, and and we do uh, we do frequently communicate. Being on the Rules Committee, it was a little bit tough to be on oh, both yeah, the Rules yeah, Committee. Yeah. For, for the speaker and the and the Freedom Caucus, so I was right. Yeah, yeah, quite, that would put you in an awkward position. Well, I'm glad you're on the Rules Committee. <laughs> oh, yeah, and we got to go up on Friday and do, or I guess we'll do it virtually on Friday to do a, a rule for this post office bill. Uh, that, and you know, people don't remember this. Nancy Pelosi did the same thing in 2010. We had to come up during the middle of August in 2010 to do a follow-on stimulus bill because those poor. Uh, schools were not going to have enough money to open the schools on September 1st. And so similar story, 30, 50 billion dollar uh, uh, stimulus three that uh, the Speaker Pelosi wanted to pass. And, and she did with Democratic votes. And uh, of course, back then they had the Senate. So it wasn't a challenge to get something uh, signed by President Obama. But this is a this is an MO that's been used before. But I do have to 
also be very honest with you, Eric. I, I do that you would watch all of that last night, so I didn't have to. So I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't make oh, myself. Oh, I knew I had work to do today, and I, I couldn't give myself the luxury of the constant beating. I did get up early and watch MSNBC, so I would be put in the proper frame of mind. <laughs> Okay, note to my producer, strike Congressman Burgess from my list of favorite members of Congress. <laughs> but I still am, because let me, let, me, uh, let me offer you this. And this is where, you know, of course, the, uh, the, it's all pandemic all the time now when you watch the, the Democratic Convention. Right. At some point, people will understand the damage done to this country by our so-called free press when 97% is in lockstep with their corporate and cultural directors and mm -hmm. opposed to anything the president is trying to do, even if it is for the good of the country. It's, it's astounding that we would be in this position. I thought things were tough when George W. Bush was president and 67% of the press was negative. I thought those were terrible days and how do you live through something like that? And this president has 97% of the corporate press aligned against him and willing to disparage anything that he does. And it's uh, it, it's been tough to watch because the only path to victory is to destroy the economy, uh, which they seem to be doing and seem to be quite gleeful about it. But unfortunately okay, for them, I, I my want to interrupt you there on, on on this point because I actually this is one of the few things I, I try to be very laid back and, and a lot of stuff doesn't work me up. But this one actually infuriates me. Uh, they attacked the president in February for shutting down trade with China, claiming he was trying to distract from impeachment and it was racist. Then they attacked him for for not aggressively coming out and saying the whole country needed to be shut down. And then when the president did decide that people needed to shelter in place to flatten the curve, now they're attacking him for killing the economy by doing exactly what they wanted him to do. There's yeah. literally no way for the president to win uh, with the Democrats and the media attacking him for killing an economy that was actually killed by a virus. It was. And then the person who really did the bad job, which would be the governor of the state of New York, uh, is, is, is held out as some sort of savior or hero in this in this whole story. At some point, the history books will have to reflect on this time as where we've lost our, our collective marbles as a nation. But I think, and, and I do want people to understand this, the president or the administration, whoever you want to credit, has done more as far as leaning into the countermeasures. Look, the, the economy's bad because it got a virus. It's not bad because a banker misbehaved in New York. It's bad because it caught a virus. And even my left-leaning Dallas Morning News yesterday morning had a little graph on the front page that said, ooh, look, Standard & Poor has recovered completely. It truly was a V-shaped recession. And there were people last February who were talking about, oh, it's going to be a W-shaped recession. It's going to be a U-shaped recession. It's going to be an L-shaped recession. In fact, they were cheering for that possibility. But front page of the Dallas Morning News, it is a V-shaped recession. It is recovering. And here's the other part of that story. The president, not the president, but the administration will deliver a viral countermeasure. My, my prediction is the latter part of October. That will be a game changer and will allow people to resume a much more normal existence. 
and and look, as a member of Congress, and we voted for some big bills, and they've been tough votes to take, and I know the country's hurting, but I cannot appropriate enough dollars to completely replace the entire throughput of the United States economy for much longer. We have to let people back to work, and we have to be honest with them that the danger from this virus is if you're in a demographic that is susceptible. And if you're not, the danger really is quite manageable. Wash your hands, watch your distance, wear a mask, and go on about your business. I'm glad you raised that because I, I, I talked to the Surgeon General yesterday who I just I, – I thought he was great. He took some very complex topics uh, and distilled it very simply to to keep your distance, wash your hands, and wear a mask, and we can get the economy back in order. And it, it very much seems like we, we still have this conversation in the media of uh, everybody needs to stay home. Nobody's allowed to go outside, and for God's sakes, let's not open up businesses or schools anymore. And I got to tell you, I have been listening to, to uh, Andy Williams. Uh, most wonderful time of the year on on the re- on repeat this morning because my kids <laughs> finally left the house and went to school. Well, and I'm sure they're learning things that will serve them in good stead. When well, they become they, the they, let, of let me country. just tell you, my my kids thankfully don't use bad language, but if they could have, they would have this morning when I woke them up to that song. That it was the I, I mean, I was happy to get them out of the house after seven months. Look, this has been a tough time for the country. There's no question about it. Um, I'm I'm glad you brought up the fact that the president did respond to the public health people who said you've got to you've got to do the 15 days to slow the spread, the 30 days to slow the spread. And I don't know if people remember the headlines at that point. It was out of uh, not criticizing the facility, but Elmhurst Hospital in New York, which was interestingly the hospital of donald trump's childhood it was the hospital where scott gottlieb did his residency so it was very personal to them that this was a hospital that was in a great deal of difficulty because of being overwhelmed with coronavirus cases and people who were desperately ill and that's when the president pivoted and said I will follow the advice of the public health people and do the 15 days to slow the spread. He was immediately criticized because he might want to open up at Easter. Remember that? Right, Uh, yeah. And then the other part of the timeline that people forget, I'm going to revert to being Texan for a moment, but in Texas at least, Governor Abbott at the end of April said, it looks like we have slowed the spread. I am going to end the the stay-at-home orders, which he did. And the cases increased, but they did not increase until two weeks after the Memorial Day riots. Uh, And I call them riots because that's exactly what they were. And you had all of these people roaming the streets, no mask, no social distancing. And you look at the curve, at least in the state of Texas, it was flat as a fritter uh, all through the month of May. So you can't criticize Governor Abbott and say he opened up too soon. No, it looked like he behaved exactly as he should have. The danger was passed. He allowed things to open back up. The cases did not increase. Hospitals were not overwhelmed until we let people roam the streets and rub elbows and uh, uh, share respiratory droplets in whatever way that they felt appropriate over the so-called protests, which were nothing more than thinly disguised riots, at least in my opinion. Uh, I agree with you completely. And, and you know, I, I pull up all the time the, the graph in Georgia. We had very much the same similar situation here. Uh, the governor of Georgia opened up the state the last week of April, and the, the viral spread in Georgia was absolutely flat 
for a month and a half until the second week of June, two weeks after the, the, the riots, and suddenly there's this massive spike in the number of cases, and yet somehow it's the governor's fault for daring to let people out of their house as opposed to people being responsible. The 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 the, the weaponized partisanship over this virus and, and Andrew Cuomo now wanting to write a book on leadership with all the dead senior citizens in New York, it, it, it's really appalling to me, and as someone who who tends to think that there are a lot of good people in the media, I, I'm having a hard time remembering that these days. And, and I, I kind of understand why the president has at one point called him the enemy of the people, given the way this coverage has gotten so slanted. And here's a, a, a let me go deep into the past. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn came to this country as a Soviet dissident who was finally released from the gulag in, in Siberia. And he was lauded as uh, appropriately to, to, as a freedom fighter and, and welcome to this country. And when he gave his address at, uh, I think it was Harvard University in 1978, he lamented the fact that a country that had purportedly a free press unfortunately had unanimity of opinion in the press so that it wasn't free at all. And he was clobbered for saying that back in 1978. Mm -hmm. But when I go back and read that speech now, the, the man was extremely prophetic. And this is the danger for having a press that is so incurious that they never even question any facts that they are uh, that, they, that they are fed by again their corporate overlords. I'm, I'm using that term advisedly, right. but I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, the whole the whole mission of CNN, the whole mission of MSNBC, is to unelect a duly elected president, and it's been it's been difficult to watch. And look, here's the other sad truth: I serve in public service. I serve in the government. If I had 97% of the press against me, I don't know that I'd survive that. Right. At some point, you, you, you sort of pack up and say, I'll go off and do something else. Uh, but the president, to his credit, and his love of the country must be intense. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother him. And I cannot think of any other political figure in my time where that would be possible. Uh, but it's truly a unique personality that he, that he brings to the job and, quite honestly, one that's required for a time such as ours. It is a unique time. Well, Congressman, listen, I, I thank you for stopping by. I've, I've enjoyed this tremendously. Uh, at, at some point, I'll be able to get up to Washington and, and see you in person again. And, and until Absolutely. then, uh, best of luck to you out there. And I, I know you got a, a campaign going on yourself. So thank you for taking time and stopping by today. I'm glad to do it anytime. And uh, one of these days, let's, let's talk about viral countermeasures because that's important also. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. Congressman Michael Burgess from Texas. Uh, you, you know, the, the guy was a doctor for years. Uh, he, he's actually from Minnesota. And I, I didn't have time to talk to him about Minnesota. I want to talk to you all about Minnesota when we come back. I realize most of you listening are in Georgia, uh, but you need to understand what's happening in Minnesota because there's some interesting data coming out of that state right now, and uh, it may actually surprise you. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I I really want to move on from the Democratic Convention, but I I need to recirculate uh, something. Uh, and and I, I, I talked a little bit about this in the first hour. 
the Democrats had an opportunity with Antifa, with the rioters, uh, with with the protesters. They had an opportunity to have a sister soldier moment. And for those of you who don't know, I was I was a teenager when it happened. Uh, but there was a rapper named Sister Soldier in 1992 who spoke at a, a I think it was, no, 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 it was Bill Clinton spoke at the Rainbow Push Coalition. Um, it was, she was giving an interview and she said, if I remember the facts right, well, I, I know I got this part right. She said that, um, that black people spend so much time killing black people, maybe they need to take a week and just kill white people. That, that's that's what she said. Now, what's so interesting here is that nowadays we're not allowed to even acknowledge black-on-black violence, uh, but back then she acknowledged it and said maybe they needed to spend a week uh, killing white people. And Bill Clinton, speaking at an event organized by Jesse Jackson, used that opportunity to blast her for saying that and those who cheered her on. And it actually helped Clinton tremendously on the campaign trail uh, that he would be unlike Michael Dukakis four years earlier. Michael Dukakis, I remember that I was in eighth grade uh, in the Michael Dukakis, uh, it, it, Michael Dukakis race with um, with George H.W. Bush and uh, Bernard Shaw from CNN asked Dukakis if he would give the death penalty uh, to someone who murdered his wife. And Dukakis said no. Uh, he was adamantly posted to the death penalty, and that that was an issue for George H.W. Bush. You know, people go after George H.W. Bush for the Willie Horton stuff. Uh, the Willie Horton stuff, uh, that was a man that Michael Dukakis let on furlough who uh, raped and killed someone. That was actually Al Gore did that. Al Gore did that, and George H.W. Bush and Lee Atwater just, just basically re-ran the Al Gore ad, and, and the media blamed him instead of Al Gore. They completely ignored the fact that it was Al Gore. Um, but nonetheless, so, so Bill Clinton does this, and it kind of gets the Democrats over the stigma of being soft on crime, that he's blasting this black artist who's calling for black on white violence. Uh, and so Bill Clinton get, just gets to explode over it and and it helped him. And ever since it's been called a sister, to, a sister soldier moment where a candidate for a party blasts their own side, goes after his own voters. And people, the, the media in particular, loves those moments. There was an opportunity for the Democrats and maybe Joe Biden, I'm not going to hold my breath on this, but there is an opportunity for them to do this, to say, you know what? Peaceful protest is good, but we need to acknowledge there are people hijacking this and burning down small businesses and smashing windows, and we need to condemn this, and they simply will not do it. They cannot bring themselves to do it. They just can't do it. Uh, they, they don't want to do it. And that they don't want to do it is telling. See, see, they've been captured by these left-wing radicals. That They've been captured by them. This is one of those reasons, by the way, I got to tell you, I, I, I know a lot of people, and they, they abhor the idea of me, a, a, a guy who, who coined the term never Trump, and I really didn't, but I've been given credit for it. I, I just, it it kind of went viral when I did it, but it was a friend's recommendation. Um, I didn't vote for the man in, in 2016. 
And and this is kind of one of those things that that if if you're on the sidelines like I was in 2016, the Democrats have been captured by far left radicals who are literally burning down small businesses. You just can't support that stuff. It will do nothing but embolden those people. And the only way to stop it is to spank them. And the only way to spank them is to cast your vote for Donald Trump in November. That's just the reality. Why do all pairs of glasses look totally different on the shelf and then they look different on your face? Coastal makes it easy. Browse and virtually try on hundreds of frames without leaving your couch. You don't even need to turn off the TV. You just do what you need to do to try on glasses. At Coastal.com, you get prescription glasses starting at $9 with free shipping and a 30-day risk-free return. Plus, they've got the most advanced virtual try-on technology you'll find anywhere. Turn your frames into sunglasses by trying out colored lens tints, seeing what a cat eye or an aviator might look like on your face. With Coastal, you don't have to spend hundreds of hours or hundreds of dollars or any hours really in a store. Go to Coastal.com. You pick your frames. You want see them, see what they look like on your face. You do it on your phone. You enter your prescription details and you order. It's actually pain-free, people. It's easy to do, and you never have to go to a store to get this done. Now, through October 31st, they're offering you guys the best deal they've got going anywhere. 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com slash Eric. Remember, it's E-R-I-C-K. You get free shipping, 30-day risk-free returns, 50% off Coastal.com slash Eric. Only until October 31st. It's spelled coastal, C-O-A-S-T-A-L dot com slash Eric. Some restrictions do apply. Coastal.com slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I, I want to, I, 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 I've avoided it as best I could. I, I've avoided it as best I could. Um, I, I want to actually spend a moment uh, looking at, do I, yeah, I, I, I want to do this. I'm Sanjay Gupta was on CNN earlier blasting Governor Kemp for his handling of the virus in Georgia. And the level of partisanship in this sort of stuff offends me because the virus should not be partisan and people in the media are making it partisan. I have up the graph of the date of reporting for the the virus for the coronavirus, and I wanna I, I wanna for those of you watching online, I'll I'll turn this turn my screen on here so you can see it. Uh, the large gathering ban was imposed at the beginning of April, or no, it was actually it was the 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 March twenty second. The shelter-in-place was put in place on on April 2nd, and it did not come out until really the the last week of April. People were allowed to go get their haircuts and stuff, and and real shelter-in-place didn't actually end until the end of May. And the virus actually stayed relatively flat. I mean, for perspective, uh, with the seven-day moving average on April 13th, we were at 843 cases. And uh, after shelter in place, May 24th, we were at 809. If you'll recall in June, the at the very beginning of June, the IHME model for Georgia showed that by August 1st, we would have maybe 20 cases of coronavirus in Georgia. And that was, that was June. That was the beginning of June. The IHME model showed that. 
And let me get us to, to June 1st. On June 1st, the seven-day moving average was 699 cases. And that's based on the date of report. The date of report, 699. The virus was flat. Now, that's that's more than a month. That's more than a month after people were allowed back out of their house. The virus in Georgia was flat. We know that it takes a two-week lag for the virus to begin spreading. It can take up to 10 to, to, to 14 days for the virus to start spreading. And the governor reopened the state the last week of April. People were allowed out of their houses on May 1st. The seven-day moving average was 665. Come June 1st, it, it, it's 699. It, it statistically, it's still lower than when we sheltered in place. There's a flat line, a completely flat line in the seven-day moving average. And then two weeks after the rioting began in Atlanta, we start going up. And it goes up and 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 up all the way to July 24th when the seven-day moving average is at 3,766 cases. How is that Governor Kemp's fault? Because I got to tell you what happened here. It's nothing to do with Governor Kemp. Those rioters in the streets started spreading the virus, and the media was praising them. If you go back to April, the media was attacking people for protesting to reopen businesses. They were going to spread the virus. You had, I, was it April Ryan, I think, or, or Christy, one of the, one of the reporters, the NPR reporter, one of them, I can't remember, PBS, who, who essentially said that these people need to sign waivers if they get the virus, they won't take a ventilator because they're going to spread the virus. And it didn't happen. It did not happen. It did not. And then Governor Kemp is blasted for reopening the state. Remember, even the president criticized Kemp. And we go an entire month, an entire month, and we don't see a viral surge in Georgia. And then the riots happen. And two weeks after the riots happen, June 1st, the seven-day moving average is 699.9. June 14th, it's 836. A week later, on the 21st, it's 1,052. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days later, it's 1,900. It starts going up exponentially after the riots. And it wasn't just the rioters. You need to understand that. It wasn't just the rioters. You know what else it was? It was the average American citizen who saw the national media condemning small business owners who wanted to get out of their houses in April, then praising the rioters in the street, refusing to acknowledge the violence, refusing to acknowledge the vandalized buildings, refusing to acknowledge the Molotov cocktails, refusing to acknowledge that they really did want to defund the police. And your average American who saw that said, screw this. I'm not staying home anymore. I'm going out and living my life. 
if the media is going to praise these people for not socially distancing, I'm taking my family to the beach. We're going to Disney World. We're going on vacation. We're going out to eat. That's not Brian Kemp's fault. That is not Brian Kemp's fault. And to the extent Sanjay Gupta or anyone else wants to condemn Brian Kemp for that, what they're really doing is, is they're not brave enough to condemn the people. Because you know what Brian Kemp was doing during this time? Brian Kemp was going around the state telling people they needed to wear a mask. Brian Kemp was getting together a coalition of Hispanic leaders in the state of Georgia who speak Spanish to go into migrant worker communities and educate them on wearing masks and socially distancing and washing their hands and trying to contain it and getting medical help to people who were scared to go to the hospital because they were illegal aliens. Brian Kemp was doing that. Does he not get any credit for that? Remember the outbreak in Gainesville? Those of you up there listening in Hall County right now, do you remember the outbreak at, at, at the, the poultry packing facility in Gainesville, Georgia? Massive outbreak. They got got it contained in a week. And do you know why? Because the governor of the state of Georgia, who took a hard line on illegal immigration, found Spanish speakers to go tell those people, we're not going to deport you. We want to get you medical treatment and teach you how to contain the virus so we can stop the virus. He put the virus ahead of his, his belief on rounding up and throwing out the illegal aliens. And it worked. I get, I, I've been blasted by people for months on end for trying to give you the realistic, real bad news of this virus. And every day there has been bad news. Along comes good news and oh my Lord, you can't mention the good news because it might make Brian Kemp look good. How can you say anything nice about Brian Kemp? You know how I can say something nice about Brian Kemp? Because I know he's done a hell of a lot more than most of you people who are complaining about him. In fact, he's been going around the state telling people to wear masks while many of you who tell everybody to wear masks aren't even wearing masks. It's amazing the people who are preaching it who don't even want to practice it. It's amazing to me the number of people who think we've got to destroy the economy and keep people unemployed when he as the governor of the state has an obligation to not just the health of the people and the safety of the people, but to their welfare. And part of their welfare is getting them back to work. And you want to take good news, the virus is in decline in the state of Georgia, and say, I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe we're saying it's good news. I can't believe we're saying the virus is trending in the right direction. It must be the data is wrong. You are the same freaking people who believe the post office conspiracy and the Russian conspiracy. I'm sorry, the data is not wrong. The data is right. Hospitalizations are down in Georgia. ICU are is down in Georgia. The number of people going to emergency room with flu-like symptoms, down in Georgia. The number of people dying, we're starting to trend down. That's a two-week lagging indicator there. And even that is starting to go down. The virus is going down in the state of Georgia. I, I was giving you the date of report. I was showing online the date, date of report. Let's talk about the date of onset. The high, July 11th in the seven-day moving average, 4,342. You know what it is right now at the end of the seven-day moving average, 2,421. You want to scroll down just outside the window, it gets down to 2,284. If the trend lines continue, in a couple of days, it'll be below 2,000 in the seven-day moving average. I don't understand why people aren't willing to take the good news, except for partisan purposes. There's actually a lot of good news out there on the virus right now. People still have to be responsible. People still need to wear masks and socially distance and wash their hands. 
Schools have to figure this out. But you know, take the good news, people. Sanjay Gupta on TV, the AJC running hit jobs on the governor. I, I interviewed the Surgeon General of the United States of America. Do you know why he said Georgia's in the red line? Because of three metro Atlanta counties, that's all. And those counties are all headed in the right direction. Cherokee, Cobb, and Fulton, those were the counties he identified as being in the red zone. And those counties, they're headed in the right direction in the seven-day moving average as well. All of the indicators are headed in the right direction in Georgia. If the trend lines continue, we'll be out of the red zone soon. I don't understand why people at this point want to play up all the bad news when there is good news. You, 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 you've, you're just, the world is doom and gloom. Take the win, people. We're headed in the right direction. I realize some of you hate the governor. I realize some of you wish he had kept you in your house. You know what? Stay in your house. Don't come out of your house. I'm happy to come over and nail your door shut so you can't get out of your house if that'll make you feel safe from the virus. I am one of the chief advocates of shelter in place. I am a chief advocate of of wearing a mask. But you know what? You can't do it forever. And we've, we've crossed the Rubicon at this point. No one is going to shelter in place again. The virus is not going away. There is no vaccine. They told us shelter in place to flatten the curve. Guess what? We sheltered in place. The curve flattened. We opened the doors. People came outside. The virus went up again exactly like every single person at the time said it was going to do but we didn't consume hospital resources. That was the whole purpose of flattening the curve. The entire purpose of flattening the curve was that. And we did that. We did it. It worked. We did it. And now suddenly people have moved the goalposts. Flatten the curve meant stay inside forever until the virus went away. That's not what it, the move that flattened the curve was in February and March, but it is now. Why? Because it turns out, according to much polling out there, the governor actually has a job approval rating that's a majority of people like the job he's done. It is not a coincidence that as the Democrats are meeting around the country to highlight Joe Biden's alternative to Donald Trump and Stacey Abrams as an alternative to Brian Kemp, the media is going gangbusters attacking Brian Kemp for his job. But Brian Kemp is one man. When the rioters stormed through the streets of Atlanta, burning down Buckhead, tearing down the sign, or attempting to tear down the sign at CNN, tearing down Confederate memorials across the state of Georgia, and people who have taken the time to shelter in place to protect themselves see the media praising them, and people say, well, screw this, I'm going to go outside. Brian Camp can't keep them all inside, I'm sorry. He can't go around to every person in Georgia making sure their doors are locked and they're not in another house. He can't go around jamming people's garage door openers from opening to, to, to force their cars to stay inside. He can't do it, I'm sorry. He, he He's not capable of doing it. What these people are doing is they're attacking the governor of Georgia because they don't want to attack you. It's not that they like you. It's just they can't blanketly attack all the people. So they got to make it about him and his failures. What is his failure? Because he didn't impose a mask mandate, he's gone around the state multiple times with the Surgeon General and others telling you to wear a mask. If you don't listen, that's on you. That's not on him. If you don't shelter in place, if you're medically fragile, if you don't wash your hands, if you don't keep your distance, the things he's been telling to you, that's not on him. He's not your daddy, and he's not your mama. If you can't be responsible, that's not on Brian Kemp, and yet the media would blame him instead of blaming you.
frankly, at this point, maybe the media needs to blame themselves because they're the ones who cheered on the protesters and the protests and the rioters telling you that what you saw with your eyes wasn't really true. Maybe they need to do that, but the media will never be self-reflective and will never internally realize they themselves have to bear part of the blame for the spike in the virus after praising protesters and telling you not to go outside. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to take your family to the beach. You're going to go on vacation. You're not going to hold yourself hostage in your home if the media is praising all these other people for burning down Atlanta like Sherman coming through. (laughs) Y'all, the Democratic Governors Association just announced uh, day four of the Democratic Convention. They're having a roundtable discussion uh, of of various governors. Uh, All all the governors... (laughs) Tim Waltz, the governor of Minnesota, Andy Bashir, the governor of Kentucky, Tony Evers, the governor of Wisconsin, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Minnesota of, of Michigan, and Stacey Abrams, the governor of Georgia. <laughs> oh, this is what I wish the show was just on XM because there are some some words I would use. Are you kidding me, Stacey Abrams? <laughs> The Democratic guy, did they forget she lost? It, it was it was it was actually kind of funny when she spoke the other night at the Democratic convention that that they listed her as former gubernatorial candidate as opposed to state representative. I, what what about uh, leader le, le, leader leader Abrams, minority leader Abrams? That that's what they called her. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> wow. Um, my goodness, uh, y'all, th- this is, um, goodness gracious. Um, um, wow. The, the, the worshipfulness of Stacey Abrams, uh, you know, and again, this, this, this makes some of you mad cause I'm supposed to hate everybody you hate. I, I don't hate Stacey Abrams. I think she's badly misguided. I, I think her policies would be disastrous for Georgia. I really I really do think her policies would be disastrous for Georgia. But I, I interviewed the woman. I don't know her well. Got a buddy of mine knows her sister. Says her sister is just a, a, a very nice person as a judge. And I like that Stacey Abrams cracks jokes on herself. I like any politician who will crack a joke on themselves because, y'all, I have met some politicians who cannot make fun of themselves. Abrams makes fun of herself, and I like that about someone. It is endearing. Brian Kemp does the same thing, by the way. Brian Kemp does not take himself seriously, but Brian Kemp actually is a good, competent governor. Can you imagine if Stacey Abrams were governor right now? You would all be in jail for leaving your house today. August 20th, you'd, 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 you'd still be sheltered in place. Oh, we dodged a bullet on that one. Um, I, but, I mean, the, the the worshipfulness of the Democrats towards Stacey Abrams, this is not a reality-based community on the left. Now, I, I got to tell you that the, the, the Democrats, uh, it, it, it frustrates me to a degree on the Republican side because th- there are real warning signs out there uh, about where voters are right now. And if you're if you live in an area of Republican support for the president, you tend not to notice as much. Uh, because in suburban areas of the country, people are drifting away from the GOP, not because of the GOP, but because of the president. And there are some real warning signs, and Republicans do need to be concerned about what's happening in the polls. But the overall Republican brand is not bad. 
And most people still in this country identify themselves as conservative. And that seems to get missed with the rise of the progressive movement and the media's willfulness to be identified as progressive and play on the progressive team and, and the like. Um, y'all, Republican is still a good brand. People, There are a lot of people who don't like the president. And I realize most of you do. But there are a lot of people who don't. The question, though, for the Democrats is, do they recognize in reality that this is about Donald Trump? Because here's the thing, uh, and I want to spend, this is why I want to talk about Minnesota when we come back. Um, They got problems on that front. Before we get there, though, you know, the, the, there was this call for, for confiscating guns last night. Uh, you need to get guns. If you don't own guns, you go get them right now. Uh, and one place to go modify your current guns is True Precision, which modified my concealed carry gun. I actually went through them and, and built it with them collaboratively the the, the whole way. Y'all, I, I, I got to tell you, um, I love True Precision, and I love my concealed carry gun. It's a Glock 43X. I got it with them. Go to true-precision.com, true-precision.com. That's their website. You can order their parts on like slides, barrels, triggers. You can order them online. If you use ERIC as your checkout code, E-R-I-C-K, use ERIC as your checkout code, you can get 10% off. It is so worth it. Uh, the, it's a work of art, but it is really, really well-built stuff too. Well-built true-precision.com is the website. You need to go check, just check out their website, true-precision.com. I, I, I want to talk about Minnesota and there are actually a bunch of things I want to talk about and, and we'll see where I get to them. Um, in Minnesota, there is new poll. Now it's Trafalgar. Trafalgar is a Republican polling firm, but they actually do pretty good polling. And Trafalgar has Donald Trump and Joe Biden tied in Minnesota. Now I've heard for months now from people that we needed to keep our eye on Minnesota. And the reason we needed to keep our eye on Minnesota is because the situation in Minneapolis is that bad. I mean, the city has collapsed due to the violence and the city has collapsed Due to the rioting, the city has just generally collapsed. And, and you know what's so interesting here is so when I was growing up, you know, you hear about Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I assumed growing up uh, that Minneapolis, St. Paul was really one city that was kind of divided by the Mississippi River. Because, right? I mean, everybody talks about Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, and the reality actually is that, uh, St. Paul is a separate city from Minneapolis and they're, they're kind of, they're right there on the Mississippi river together, the Northern end of the Mississippi river. It's a gorgeous area, by the way. So I went up there. The only time I've ever been there was for the Republican convention in, oh, when was it? Was it 2000? Was it 2002? Eight, 2008, yeah, 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 it was 2008. It was the, um, 
it was before I was with CNN. It was the the um, 2008 Republican convention. John McCain and Sarah Palin. They were going to win Minnesota. I don't. Uh, they they didn't. Um, it, it's a beautiful area. Uh, very nice people. I mean, it's my people. They're all Swedish. I, there's so many Ericsons up there. Uh, yeah. Um, and but Minneapolis and St. Paul are separate cities, and St. Paul aggressively enforced law and order and Minneapolis did not. St. Paul would not allow the rioters to take over parts of the city and Minneapolis did. And it's, it hadn't worked out well for them and the spillover effect into the suburbs has been bad. Uh, because the spillover effect in the suburbs is a lot of people from Minneapolis have decided they got to pack up and move. And the polling there has remarkably changed in Republicans' favor as a result. Uh, the law and order issue is a, 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 a big issue for them. And I think that the Republicans need to pay attention to what's going on in Minneapolis because it is a um, it, it is a definite clue that the law and order messaging of the president makes it right, does it in the right way and does it consistently that that message can actually help the president. Uh, when you see what's happening with the polling in Minnesota, people are concerned about Antifa. And what's so remarkable about it, if you will recall, the the media for so long, uh, Chris Cuomo on CNN most notoriously, wanted to give Antifa a complete pass. Well, they're anti-fascists. They're fighting fascists. Well, Antifa is derived from the communist fighters of Nazi Germany who battled the Nazis not for law and order, but because they wanted to impose a communist dictatorship. Antifa is not a good play. Is not a good group. You all know that. I'm preaching to the choir on this. The fact that the media doesn't know it has allowed Antifa to be emboldened beyond any reasonable scope, and it's starting to have a deleterious effect on the Democrats' polling. And that's not a bad thing, honestly. Uh, look, I'm concerned about the president. I'm concerned about his reelection. I'm concerned about the polling because I, I see really good pollsters who I know and respect who say there are warning signs that it's different from 2016. I know Republicans who support the president who knew he was going to win in 2016, and I didn't believe them. And they're concerned now. There are a lot of warning signs out there in the polling trends you see in the swing states. Uh, but this is not a this is not a ru- runaway race for Joe Biden. And there's a path to victory for the president and his team if, if they keep the message going. I got to tell you, um, and I, I you know, I, I, I tend to believe that I'm a pretty good messenger on this stuff. And I don't know how you message this. Give me some time and I'm sure I'll think of it. But have you all seen this Netflix show that they want to do? Cuties? It, the the from what I've seen of it, I, it it hurts my head to even think about it. It, it looks like pedophile bait. I'm it, this is disturbing to me. It, it's like um oh what was the, the 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 reality series on what was it Discovery or TLC or something about the the little um the the beauty queens the 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 child beauty queen stuff. Uh, this looks like it on steroids. Um, hang on, Netflix pedo. Cuties. Yep that that's that's my Google term because uh, yep here we go. Um, this is this is crazy. 
Let me read you this. This is from Fox News. Uh, Cuties was screened at the 2020 Sundance Festival. More than 20,000 people thus far have signed a petition overnight asking Netflix to remove the French film Cuties, saying it sexualizes an 11-year-old after Netflix released a trailer for the film this week. A poster for the film shows four young girls in dance poses. Uh, It sparked social media backlash. Parents and carers need vigilance in protecting children from sexualization. Journalist Sonia Poulton wrote on Twitter, every day brings a new hell. Today's lowest cuties on Netflix, a twerking mess that has has 11-year-old girls grinding like pros, another consequence of strippers becoming pop stars and influencing our young. A society that celebrates the sexualization of children in any form is doomed. Absolutely appalling and grotesque stuff. Um, it, 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 it Really, this is something. The film synopsis says 11-year-old Amy starts to rebel against her conservative family's traditions when she becomes fascinated with free-spirited dance crew. Now, according to the Metro, which is an online publication, the original synopsis read this way, Amy 11 becomes fascinating with a twerking dance crew hoping to join them. She explores her femininity, denying or defying her family's traditions. Now it's French. I wonder if Roman Polanski directed it. Uh, yes, a buddy of mine texted me, Toddlers and Tierras. It was on TLC, yes. Uh, that's the show I'm thinking of. This is, this is it on steroids. There, we live in a decadent, hedonistic, atheistic culture. You know, yeah, yeah, here he goes, folks, here he goes. What's old is new again. As is the Western Judeo-Christian tradition fades, we're not embracing uh, new things. We're embracing old things, particularly we're embracing a pre-Judeo-Christian Western paganism. And if you look at the artwork of the Roman Empire, if you look at the artwork of, of the Greeks, uh, that preceded the Romans, hypersexualization of children and teens and, and, and the, the, the bodily form uh, is, I mean, it was something. It was big in culture. The, the willingness to engage in uh, same-sex relationships, uh, prom- promiscuity, uh, adultery, uh, and, and the like in, in those cultures prior to the rise of Christianity, it is on the march in Western civilization again. Um, it, it, it's, it's as one thing fades, old things come back, and they come back in different forms, but they come back nonetheless, and, and they're recognizable uh, as their original form echoes through them, the, the sexualization of kids. I have spent now multiple days on this program talking to you about human trafficking, and it makes it easier to traffic children in a society that hypersexualizes children, and that's what Netflix is doing with this. And we see this coming about as, as former traditional cultural norms collapse. And here's the thing. If you embrace moral relativity, you can't say it's wrong. What's good for you may not be good for someone else. I mean, if nothing else, you can you can watch this and you can say, hey, I mean, this provided work for these child actors. They made money off of this. They made money exploiting themselves. 
It's I, so I got to be honest with you. So there's a there there's a movie. I I've seen it twice now, and I die laughing every time. Don't watch this movie called Good Boys. Um, and, and a buddy of mine recommended it to me, and I've seen it twice, and it is really really funny. And I watch it, and I feel dirty for watching it because it's it's kids. And I mean, the actors are older; they play younger kids, uh, but but still, they play like like ninth graders or eighth or ninth graders, and it is extremely vulgar and crude. And, and I feel guilty for watching it. It's funny. I feel guilty for watching it. And all I can think when I watch it really is, whose parent would allow them to be in this movie to seek fame and fortune through stuff like this? But then I think you know what? Hey, I, I'm I'm dude watching this. It, it's about uh, three three teen, young teen boys who want to discover what kissing is. They're they're invited to a kissing party, and it, it is a, a crude comedy. I, I feel guilty for telling you I found it hysterical, but I did. But then I look at this stuff and said, so, you know, this is only one step removed from that. Uh, the hypersexualization of these kids of these girls, and Netflix is okay with it. And frankly, a lot of society is okay with it. And a lot of society is trending away from the idea that stuff like this is wrong, like prostitution is wrong. It's women's empowerment. And at some point, when you when you lose moral absolutes and you embrace moral relativism that we see in society, it's real hard to stand up against stuff like that. Because if, if prostitution is female empowerment, I mean, we, we now more and more in open society have people making the case that that um, that adults and children can be in loving sexual relationships. And it used to be in the fringe sidelines. And increasingly, you see left-wing publications pushing this stuff, trying to normalize it, trying to mainstream it. We As, as Christianity fades in the West, we're not getting something new. We're falling back into uh, early Western paganism hypersexualization, uh, a uh, worship of the body, a hedonism. Uh, you can see what's old is new again, and you should all be disturbed by this. Now, uh, as this happens, uh, you, you have societal fallout, and it's one reason I, I, got, I, I got accused the other day of not caring as much as I used to care. That that uh, I had a guy, he doesn't listen to me anymore. It's I ironic, he still follows me on social media and wants to interact with me, but he says he doesn't listen to my radio show anymore. He says, I've changed. And I asked him, how how have I changed? And he couldn't really put his finger on it. And finally, it's this, that that, that I don't believe that, that, that this election is as consequential as conservatives should believe. That I, I I used to I used to believe that if we if we didn't get out and vote the world was coming to it y'all the world's already fallen I, I that that it, to the extent that I've changed it's I'm tired of telling you because you hear this on every other conservative radio show in America that this is the last election we got to get this one right we but you know what I told y'all that in 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 2012 I said in 2012 we got to get this election right if we don't it's over and and you know what. My team lost. And then we got to 2016 and everybody told me, we got we to gotta do it, we got to do it, we got to do it. I didn't think Trump could win and he did. But what's he done? Obamacare is still the law of the land. We, we haven't changed Obamacare. We still, we, we've got a Supreme Court with Trump appointees who've recognized transgenderism as an employment uh, discrimination issue. 
and now we're getting to 2020 and you're talking, you got to do it. Well, one more time. This is, this is it. This is it. This is it. No, no, the, the, the world's already fallen. We live in a fallen world already. Um, anything that, that Joe Biden does is going to do through executive order. It's going to be undone for the next president. Listen, I'm going to go vote for Trump, but I I'm, I'm tired of manufactured existential crisis. You know, with the existential crisis in this, in this country is the existential crisis of this world. We live in a world that has abandoned the things of God. Uh, society itself was falling apart and mainstream cultural is embracing deviancy while shaming people who are normal. That's, that's what's going on. Uh, and that's been happening and it's going to happen. And I've read the end of the book. It's going to keep getting worse. There's no way for you to turn the tide except to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to come back and you're already on the winning team. So there's no reason to be exasperated by it and think the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Because guess what? I've read the book. It is going to hell in a handbasket and it's predestined to go to hell in a handbasket. And you yourself can escape the exile of this planet by faith not by voting for any politician. So excuse me for not whipping myself into a frenzy over the 2020 election. Uh, I'm already on the winning team. But this sort of stuff should appall you. And the fact that it doesn't appall enough people is indicative of the fact that revelation is right. This world is going to burn. And that's actually the truth. And it's horrific and it's appalling. And we should be incensed by it and i'm glad people are speaking out on this stuff but man it just i read stuff like this and i think you know what scripture's telling the truth you, you can just see how it's shaping up you know i keep telling you all i'm gonna give i promise i really am i've been working on a sourdough starter believe it or not um and, and i found one that i finally like i've decided to kill my regular sourdough starter because Nobody in the family wants it, and it's good. It's it's good sourdough bread, but nobody really wants that sourdough. I found a sourdough recipe that's actually really good. It's an Amish friendship bread, potato flake sourdough. Sounds confusing and horrifying. It makes the best bread. It's actually the one that my mother-in-law uses, um, and and I'm I'm excited uh, by this recipe. And and now every weekend I can make bread, and it's fantastic. Okay, we got other stuff we got to talk about. I, you know, I, I want to see if I can get Chris Burns on here um, to talk about Robin Hood with me. Robin Hood, the app. I'm, I may need to see if I can get him on my evening show this evening to talk about this and, and, and find me something other than the Democrats talk about it. So I'm fascinated by this. Um, uh, Grover Norquist and I, we talked about this in the first hour. The Robin Hood app, if you haven't heard of this, I, 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 gotta, I, I can get you a discount code. Uh, for the Robinhood app, if you want to use it, but it's a it's a stock trading app. But I've noticed that it is an app that induces you to make trades. Like I've got a a Ameritrade account. I had it; it was TD Waterhouse. Now it's TD Ameritrade, and they never bother me. It's when I want to trade, I go and I make trades. And I'm not going to lie, y'all. Uh, one of the things that I started buying, I decided I was going to profit off all of you and your sins. Uh, about six months ago, I was talking to a buddy of mine and I just decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to buy some stocks of these companies now that you can buy on the stock exchange that are, uh, building out the, uh, legal marijuana industry because they're all like 10 cents and you people are all a bunch of sinners and I live in a fallen world and so do you. And I know how this thing's going to go. And so I figure I'm going to get rich off other people's sins because you know, you can't stop the title legalization at this point. I mean, it is spreading around the country. It's crazy. Uh, watching how quick this this wildfire is burning, and uh, but I, I've I've done some of that through my Meritrade account, but then I've got stock at Disney and Apple. 
I've got stock in Facebook. Um, I've got stock in uh, Bank of America and Synovus. And I've got a friend of mine who invests for me. And I just send him money and let him buy stuff for me. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. And uh, what, what I am amazed by, though, with the Robinhood app and some of the other things that are coming along is how they're they're trying to induce millennials in particular to buy. And it's not to buy and to build wealth. It's to buy and trade rapidly, almost going back to the days of day trading through these apps. And the only real winners here are the apps, not the millennials and, and the Gen Z who are using these apps. And it, it's algorithmic-based purchases. They send you a text message. I, I've got, a, got a, a text message right now from Robinhood. One, one of the apps I have is is up. and It's, it's trending up. Looks like it may surge today. You better buy a little more because it's going up. And that's the whole, the algorithmic way of inducing people to spend their money is something I'm increasingly fascinated by. And the bankruptcy $5 at a time on subscriptions is the other thing. Because good gracious, the, the amount of subscriptions I realized I had that I didn't even realize I had different newsletters, uh, different apps on my phone, different TV services through through my Apple TV just one little subscription at a time. I'm paying a lot of money every month. You know, that's one reason I, I love the folks at Dynamic Money. This isn't actually an ad form. It's why I want to have Chris Burns on to talk. Um, the folks at Dynamic Money, my wife and I use them, and they actually have a, a, a as part of you using them, they can go through and analyze all the stuff. And they say, did you know you're spending 150 bucks a month in subscriptions? No, I had no idea. And you go through it was like, well, I haven't used this in forever. Why am I still paying for it? And they help you get rid of it and, and save you $5 here, $5 there. Pretty soon you're talking about hundreds of dollars a month that you're saving. Um, by the way, the, the dynamicmoney.com is their website. They're really good. They are completely fee only. Uh, you're not going to get charged a commission or anything like that. They're, they're great people. Um, I'm just fascinated by this rise in algorithmic spending. Uh, the ads that are inducing people to buy, uh, your privacy being used in a greater algorithm to induce you to do things, to recognize your purchases, to incentivize you to purchase other things. I The whole thing amazes me, and they've gotten it so right on the money, at a time where millennials and Gen Z are not doing as economically well as Gen X and the boomers, they're being bled dry induced, if you will, to make purchases in ways that they normally wouldn't. But the algorithm knows them well enough to know what it will take to induce them to spend their money, and they're having a hard time breaking free of it. This is something we as a society have to deal with because we're we're raising a generation of kids who want to turn to socialism because they believe the world isn't fair and the world is inducing them to spend their money instead of building their capital and their wealth over time. And we're going to have far-reaching economic long-term consequences if we don't figure out a way around this. So hopefully we'll be able to.